here we go. It's another big week in the NFL for the New York Giants. This is the Giants Wire podcast, powered by USA Today Sports. Now your host, Ryan O'Leary and Giants Wire editor, Dan Benton. Well, Dan, it was fun while it lasted, right? The winning streak. We knew it. I guess it had to end sometime. The Giants dropping the 5-8 and eight on the season, losing control of the NFC East with this loss to the Cardinals. we got to worry about the football team now because they keep winning. A couple games we penciled in as losses for them, Steelers, and now the 49ers, they keep winning. Now they're in first place. But I think what we got to start, I think the, the lead story right now is the health of Daniel Jones and Joe Judge, the young head coach, his decision to start Daniel Jones when he wasn't 100% healthy. We talked about this last week on the podcast. I didn't want to see a 75% Daniel Jones start over Colt McCoy. I don't think Daniel Jones is there yet. You know, I just don't think he's... I don't think we treat him yet like the Iron Man, like Eli Manning. I don't think we treat him like that yet. I don't think he's there yet. I think he's showing some promises here, but I don't think Daniel Jones is that guy yet. But the Giants put him out there. They admitted that he was limited. They admitted that he couldn't move. They weren't going to let him run or do anything. They were just going to stand him in the pocket and let him play. And boy, did that backfire, Dan. It did not look good. The offense did absolutely nothing. And really, this was a stinker all the way around, right? What's your leadoff thought on it? You know, there is a lot to unpack with this game. But let me start by saying this. Watching uh, Jones in practice on Friday, you sort of got the sense that maybe he was there uh, because he didn't look limited. He didn't look like he was limping around. It did look like he could step in his throws. What happened between that Friday practice and Sunday is anyone's guess. But as you pointed out, it was clear from moment one that Jones was extremely limited and wasn't really able to do much. And that was abundantly evident throughout the game. As much credit as Joe Judge has been given this year, especially on this podcast, and as much as as he deserves, there's no other way around it. He made a bad choice starting Daniel Jones in the end. He made a worse choice by limiting the playbook and limiting Daniel Jones after starting him. And then beyond that, it was just a poorly coached game, you know, across the board uh, for Judge, for the coordinators. They weren't prepared. It was really only the second time in the season you can watch a game and say, listen, they were out coached. And for a rookie head coach, that's obviously bound to happen. Uh, but it came at a bad time and it came at a, a, at a pretty steep price. And uh, I guess that's part of the learning curve. Um, I'm not one of those people that's all doom and gloom immediately. I still feel like there are plenty of reasons for optimism with this team moving forward. I don't think they're completely out of it, but we'll get back into that in a second. Uh, but the bottom line is, is in what was the most important game of, of the entire season, the coaches let the team down and the players let the coaches down. It was just an all-around failure. No doubt. We'll, we'll update the uh, Giants' path to the NFC East Championship in the number 4 seed a little bit later. Uh, this is a game that we had penciled in as kind of a coin flip. This is a winnable game, I think. This is definitely The Arizona Cardinals are not a juggernaut by any means. They were not playing great football coming in. And you're right. I think Joe Judge, a guy we were super high on, you know, could have been higher on him coming out of last week with the win over Seattle. Now we're saying that he got outcoached by Cliff Kingsbury. So that's, that's a tough one. But one thing that you wrote, Dan, that I highlighted that I just thought was, was interesting was that you said it was thick-headedness by the coach. And I think coming into the season, when we were when the Giants were struggling at first, we were trying to figure out, man, is does Joe Judge get it? Is he in over his head? Is he going to take the bull by the horns and really lead this team? I think we thought about that thick-headedness piece, right? We thought, man, is he too much of a hardo? That, he kind of came across that way at first. Now, I think he's grown on us all. Uh, everyone who's yeah. following the Giants, I think he's grown on us. 
why do you think he stuck to his guns here and said, we're going to start Daniel Jones? And he even said it like we were willing to live with his limitations. They knew he was going to be limited. They were willing to live with that. It's like, huh? Like what? Right. Like you guys, I mean, the offense was atrocious in this game. Jones threw, threw for like 130 yards. He got sacked six times. You didn't get anything done on offense. And it's because you were too stubborn to start McCoy and sit your guy that has a hamstring injury and can't move. Like that just doesn't make any sense. It doesn't. It doesn't make any sense. And I know usually on here, one of us will have an answer to every question, at least an opinion, at least, you know, an attempted theory. I don't have one. I genuinely don't have one. And I've thought about it a lot since, you know, Judge said yesterday that he's going to start Jones anyway uh, this week, as long as he can get through practice. And and honestly, it's just I don't understand it. And I, I don't really know any other way to put it. You have a statue behind an offensive line that although had improved up until last week has not exactly played particularly well. You have a group of wide receivers who, whether people want to admit it or not, are averaging roughly 1.5 yards of separation per route, which is more than one yard lower than the NFL average. And you're putting an injured quarterback in there who had already been struggling in Jason Garrett's offense uh, from a touchdown to interception standpoint. And, uh, and an offense that has been struggling all season, you know, comparatively. I don't know. I don't, I don't understand the logic. And that's, that's kind of why I alluded to the thick-headedness because it's, it's not beneficial to the team. You've already taken your team out of first place in the NFC East when they had a chance to, to, you know, to make some things happen. Now you're in a position where you can't lose anymore. And uh, it's obvious that Jones is not able to get the job done. Standing behind that offensive line, not able to step into throws, not able to find, not able to have any open receivers in the first place. That allows teams to just focus centrally on stopping the run. Makes the Giants one-dimensional. You don't have to worry about Judge. I mean, uh, Jones scrambling or taking off anymore. There's not going to be any 80-yard runs the way things are right now, and that changes the entire dynamic of an offense that already had changed once Saquon Barkley went down injured. So now they're basically on the third different offense this season and have the most immobile quarterback in football because of his injury. So why would you stick with that? I, I genuinely do not have an answer to that question. The Giants were only on the field for 22 minutes, couldn't get first downs, right, Dan? And, and there's a specific situation I want to talk about here coming up. But you mentioned the O-line. like The rotation was normal. You, you saw guys getting their normal snaps, guys coming in, like Cam Fleming coming in, uh, Shane Lemieux coming in. Mm-hmm. We, I think you noticed, the, you noticed Andrew Thomas a little bit, though, in this game. He stayed in there. He played all 49 snaps, only 49 snaps, only 49 yeah, that, snaps on offense. It's crazy. That, but, that tells you the story, right? Right. But, 12 series and 49 snaps. It's not good. Not good. There's a lot of stats just like that in this ballgame. The <laughs> offense was atrocious. But you kind of noticed Andrew Thomas. Not a great day for him, was it? I mean, it's one thing to have that game plan like, okay, we're going to put Jones in the pocket. He can't run. We, he can't move. He can barely step into his throws because he has one hamstring. But right. we have this great offensive line that's going to protect him. It's going to be great. Well, the Giants don't really have that. And I think that is one thing that really backfired on Judge and the Giants. Well, it certainly did. Listen, they, they've been developing all year. I'm not going to lay it all at the feet of the offensive line. I, I really went over a lot of numbers. I went over a lot of film. I, I gave it a lot of thought. And it's really, it's, it's just a domino effect because here, here are some of the strange numbers that came out of that game. As I mentioned, the Giants receivers averaged 1.53 yards per separation per route, which was, I believe, the lowest in the NFL uh, during the week. But on the flip side of that, Daniel Jones had over 2.9 seconds to operate in the pocket, which was the highest time in the NFL. So I think 
So I think what the problem is, is you have this really bizarre combination of Murphy's Law that happened to the Giants there. You have a quarterback who can't move, who can't step into his throws, who can't run. And because of that, he has to stand in the pocket. He can't be throwing the ball away and getting, you know, intentional groundings, you know, every other play. Because, listen, he had... I don't have the exact numbers in front of me. I believe he had 23 drop, 24 dropbacks, something like that. And he was hit 11 times. So, you know, yes. All right. So the offensive line is tasked with protecting longer than anybody else in the league during this, this game, which is a detriment for any offensive line period. And they're, they're ultimately going to give up sacks when the quarterback can't leave the pocket. But the other part of that is he has nowhere to throw the ball. Nobody's open. He, and he had the highest number of tight window throws in the league this past Sunday, which is remarkable when you consider that he attempted fewer passes than any other point in his career. So, you know, when you look at the thing as a whole, it really, there's no other way to point a finger. You could say, oh, the offensive line didn't protect well enough. Oh, Daniel Jones didn't play well enough. Oh, the wide receivers didn't play well enough. The, the running game didn't get going. The bottom line is that all falls on the coaching. It falls on Joe Judge for making the decision to start Daniel Jones, and it falls on Jason Garrett for failing to adapt the offense to the changing circumstances. You mentioned Jason Garrett, and I want to get to him. There's a questionable call late in the third quarter that I think has gotten a lot of run on Giants Wire and other networks that cover the Giants. Let's talk about that coming up next. Fantasy football is about proving that you are better than your friends. Sit him, start him. These are the fantasy picks of the week. It will kill me if this game ends in a tie. I need this win. This game's pretty much done. With Corey Bonini from thehuddle.com. It's week 15 of the fantasy football season, and if you're listening, that likely means you have advanced in the fantasy football playoffs. I'm Corey Benini of TheHuddle.com, here to help you with some strong plays to get you into the championship round. This one may make gamers uncomfortable, but Jalen Hurts, the quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles at the Arizona Cardinals, is a strong play. In the last seven weeks, five different quarterbacks have at least 22 fantasy points against Arizona, and three of those efforts were good for at least 26 fantasy points. The two bad games came from Cam Newton and Daniel Jones. Hurts, a rookie, made his NFL debut as a starter last week and he acquitted himself well enough. His major upside comes from his legs, but the game wasn't too big for him in last week's debut. That said, he's best to use in two quarterback setups. Running back Jeff Wilson Jr. at the Dallas Cowboys. The 49ers may be without Raheem Mostert once again with another ankle injury. And Wilson is the likeliest place to turn for the offense that is struggling for a spark after poor quarterback play and the loss of Debo Samuel. Only Houston has allowed more rushing yards per game in 2020 and the position has scored 13 times on the ground versus Dallas. Wilson may struggle to matter without finding the end zone, so understand there is a little bit of a gamble here. Wide receiver Keelan Cole of the Jacksonville Jaguars at the Baltimore Ravens. Baltimore has given up four touchdowns in his past three outings, and the positional defense has been relatively soft in that time. It ranks 39% easier to exploit than the league average, and nine receivers have at least 10 PPR points against the Ravens in the last four games. Don't be scared off by the name brand of the matchup. Cole benefits from having Gardner Minshew back in the lineup and offers utility as a wide receiver three or a flex in PPR set. Herb Smith Jr., the Minnesota Vikings versus the Chicago Bears. Prior to missing a few games of various injuries, Smith has flashed a few times, going for 10 points or more in three of the four appearances before getting hurt. He returned in week 11, only to get injured for two more weeks. Then he came back for a line of 4-63-1 against Tampa Bay last week. The Bears are the second weakest defense in the last five weeks at controlling tight ends, and if Kyle Rudolph sits one more time, Smith is a strong play for a touchdown in this divisional matchup. For more fantasy football news, tips, and advice, be sure to check out thehuddle.com. All right, Dan, let's set the stage. Late third quarter, Giants are backed up. Desperate need of a scoring drive at this point in the game. They're down 20-7. to 7. 
Second and ten, they, they give the ball to Wayne Gallman. He picks up nine yards. So you got a third and one on your own 16. And Jason Garrett calls a pass play. The Giants, now they, the reporters thankfully asked about this play after the game. People kind of speculated, did Daniel Jones check out of a run play? Because everybody, I think, wanted to see another run. Gallman had just picked up nine yards. Even though the you know the Giants didn't really rush for any yards in this game, it's not like they were terrible rushing the ball. They just didn't have no. enough opportunity to do it. I think they were rushing for like four yards a carry at the time. Yeah, they, they started slow, but it, it picked up when you're that far behind. Yeah, 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 100%. 100%. So what happens is third and one on your own 16, I got to have it kind of drive late in the third quarter when you just don't got, you don't have anything going. The Giants end up seeing a matchup they like and going deep down the sideline to Sterling Shepard. Glances off his fingertips, right, Dan? A good effort, but they couldn't complete that ball. They end up punt on fourth and one. It's a crappy-ass punt, and the, yeah. Cardinals end, yeah, and the Cardinals end up getting an easy field goal to, I mean, go up by 16 and really put the game out of reach at that yep. point. I mean, nobody thought the Giants were going to win down 16 in the fourth quarter, I don't think, the way they were playing football. No. What do you think about the call? Third and one, deep shot. It was bizarre. It was bizarre, and I'm glad that it was asked of Judge after the game because when I watched it in real time, even I thought the same thing. Did did Jones literally just check out of a third and one run after a nine yard gain when you're down late in or early in the second half? And I'm thinking, you know, that's that's going to be a stain on Jones if he's the one who checked out of that. But it turns out he, he wasn't the one that checked out of that. Instead, they decided to take a shot. Maybe they just wanted to generate some sort of spark for the offense because nothing was working. But again, you know, if Colt McCoy is in there, you know, all right, and he could step into the throw, that's great. But you have an injured quarterback that's thrown off the back of his foot to a guy who had less than 1.5 yards of separation on that particular <laughs> yeah, route. Yeah, there's not a lot of room and, and you've got the Wayne train who's done nothing but run hard for the last month and a half just sitting there watching the ball drop to the turf. So, yeah, it was a very bizarre decision, and here's the way I looked at it. I don't have any problem with that call if you're going forward on fourth down. If that's a, if that's a two-play call, fine, I can accept that. And even if you don't make it on fourth down, if you run the ball and try, it stinks, but I can accept that. Making that third down call and then punting the ball away when your punter has been terrible for three weeks, and that's a whole other can of worms. Sure, day, yeah, the special teams, we might, we right. might want to, but go ahead. You know, you, you really, really set your team back there. I mean, it's 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 at best a coin flip call when you get away from your strength and, and make that call with a with an injured quarterback. And again, that that goes back to Jason Garrett. And I haven't been overly critical of Garrett, but it's getting to the point now where it's sort of like you can only ignore the misfortune and the miscues and, and the failing of this offense for so long before. You know, someone has to take the blame, and it, you know it's not something that I had considered until yesterday, but. Pat Shermer, with this same offensive unit, more or less, was substantially more productive than Jason Garrett with the same unit with an additional year of experience. And we all know how terrible a job Pat Shermer did. I was going to say, Giants so fans, there's your first Pat Shermer reference. So today. what does that say about Jason Garrett's offense this year? So a lot of things going on in this situation, right? The Giants were trying to go fast. They were going no huddle in this point, which I think yeah. is why a lot of people speculated that Jones called this play or, or what was going on because they were going fast, no huddle. So you're less than a minute left in the third quarter, Dan. And like we've been talking about, can't really get anything going your way back. You're backed up. You're at your own 16. Yeah. Should they have gone for it there, fourth and one? I don't know if that's four down territory, but you could at least I, speculate there that maybe it well, was. 
Listen, if you if that's your third down call, you're going. You should go for it on fourth down. Agreed. Yeah. If you're not going for it on fourth down, you put the ball in Gallman's hands because if nothing else, he falls forward for an extra yard and a half every single time he touches the football. Yep. Yep. So you, you, we can dissect that call and and what they should have done on fourth down all day long, but those two things intersect. That call is made if you're going for it on fourth down. It's not a call that should be made if you're not going for it on fourth down. If you're willing to take the chance at that point in the game, knowing that if you don't convert, you're punting the ball back to them anyway, what the hell difference does it make if you go for it on fourth down then? Yeah, especially if your punter is going to punt it 30 yards. Right. Uh, and yeah. boy, man, what in the world? <sighs> yeah, this, so you, you wrote – make a person crazy. Sure. And you wrote about the, the special teams kind of struggling over the last few weeks. Maybe it was, and we didn't notice it as much while the Giants were winning. What have you seen on that unit specifically that is cause for concern right now? Everything. <laughs> Everything. I mean, I don't, I don't even know where to begin with that at this point. They're not kicking the ball as deep uh, – on the kickoffs, neither Graham uh, Gano nor Riley Dixon are are corner kicking anymore. They're not directional kicking. Every kick is down the center of the field, far out kicking the coverage on the punt team in particular. Those gunners are, are way too far off the ball that it's going down the center of the field. And that's on punts where he is connecting on more than 34 yards. And, and uh, you know, it's it's one of those strange things because we had watched Riley Dixon improve considerably throughout last season and then up until three weeks ago this season. And the Giants special teams as a unit were the third most efficient in the NFL three weeks ago. They've been so bad over the last three weeks that that efficiency rating has dropped to 12th in the NFL. Well, we got a lot a lot of things going on here entering a big matchup with the Browns on Sunday Night Football. We got to get Daniel Jones's leg healthy because apparently he's starting no matter what. How do we feel right now? How do we feel about the Giants' chances of finding a way to get back on track and, and still win this division? They still have the tiebreaker over Washington. Yep. We laid out the path a few weeks ago, Dan, and the Giants are kind of right where we wanted them to be. Let's talk, right. Yeah, let's talk about that coming up next. It's that time again for the line of the week. The inside track to the favorites, the underdogs, and the over-unders. I think I want my money back. Now, here are Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren from USA Today's Sportsbook Wire. Hello, I'm Eston McLaren of Sportsbook Wire and Bet Slippin' Podcast. I'm joined by my colleague Jeff Clark to break down all you need to know to bet on the Week 15 Monday Night Football game between the Pittsburgh Steelers and Cincinnati Bengals. The Steelers come in as 12-point favorites on the road, minus 110 odds to win by at least 13 points. Jeff, how does Cincinnati and the Bengals cover this 12-point spread at home? Well, Pittsburgh is very one-dimensional right now. Their running game has fallen off the cliff, and even their wide receivers have been dropping balls. So give me the double digits at home with a division opponent. Also, this could be a quintessential look-ahead spot for Pittsburgh, who's got Indy and Cleveland coming up. They've had tough games leading into this. Steelers, well-coached team with Mike Tomlin, lost two games in a row. They need to get back on track. No better spot to do it than against a Bengals team. They beat 36-10. to 10 in week 10 give me the Steelers minus 12 they win by two scores all right Dan the Giants host the Browns on Sunday night football they're going to be three and a half point underdogs in this ball game and rightfully so after the way they played against Arizona and the way the Browns looked against Baltimore on Monday night that's a good looking team right now that that Cleveland Browns team that's just a little bit of a scary matchup 
Well, Are they're we... certainly Go ahead, playing. Yeah. They're, they're, they're certainly playing better than than they were when we first uh, laid out the playoff. Path, yeah, I'll I think, tell you that much. yeah. When we first laid out the path, we had this as a coin flip that might go to the Giants' way, and now it's like. I don't feel it's a coin flip anymore. I think the Giants are legit underdogs in this ballgame, so they're going to have yeah. to pull an upset. But the Giants at 5-8, and eight, kind of right where we wanted them to be coming into this matchup, right? We wanted them to be at 5-8 and eight at least. We figured they would lose to Seattle and beat Arizona, so right. they just flip-flopped those two things. So that's fine. So they're 5-8, and eight, kind of right where we wanted them. We didn't want Washington to be uh, at 6-7, no. and seven, though. That's not what we no. – we did not want that. So well, they saw that coming anyway. Yeah, I mean, they have won <laughs> at Dallas, at Pittsburgh – and then at San Francisco. Are you kidding me? The Washington football is, team. Yeah, that defense is crazy. Dude. Yeah, they're really good. They're really good. And Alex Smith is playing like the Alex Smith of old a little bit. He's starting to get his thing going. And that team is uh, that, that team's a story right now. We're going to have to watch that. But after watching the Browns on Monday night and then watching your Giants on Sunday, Dan, how do you feel going into this matchup? Uh, not particularly wonderful. No, <laughs> not particularly not. wonderful. Of course not. Um, I'm actually, I, I'll be honest, uh, Vegas is a little bit more optimistic about the, about the Giants' chances than I am. Um, the way that they're just lighting things up the last few weeks, I don't, I don't know. You know, Listen, the Giants' defense is good. They are good, but they showed some weaknesses against uh, the Cardinals, and it provides kind of a blueprint for the other teams about how to attack them. Now, I think... Part of the reason for that was is they really kind of changed the way they were rushed to the passer. Uh, against Arizona, Patrick Graham really seemed to put a larger emphasis on trying to keep Kyler Murray in the pocket. Sure, uh, You don't necessarily have to worry about that to that extent with Baker Mayfield, although he can run on you. So I think they're going to get away from that because that obviously is a throwaway game for Patrick Graham. He's been great all season. That was a mess. They were also on the field forever. Way you know too I mean? long. Yeah. Way too long. Right, way too long. Uh, but listen, the Browns are a high-powered offensive team, and they're not gonna—they're not gonna come in and, and, and play weekly. They—they they have every reason to give it their all at this point because after that loss last night, which is really detrimental for the Giants, because not only does it set them back uh, in the division when they had a chance to pick up a game, it actually puts them a little bit further back uh, when it comes to you know wild card tiebreakers and then. And that sort of thing. So they're dangling a little bit right now. And they're just as desperate as the Cardinals were last week. So the Giants are going to win this game. They're legitimately going to have to go out there and win this game with an injured Daniel Jones, which means their offense is going to have to put up some points. And I just don't think anybody is confident enough that the Giants can do that right now. Well, all signs point to the Giants sticking with Jones, as you just said, Dan. If he can go through the same kind of practice week as he had last week, knowing his limitations, they seem like they're going to stick with that. You, you wrote they're, gonna, they're ready to die by their sword on that thing. So we'll yeah. see. I don't know if I love Daniel Jones not being able to move in the pocket with Miles Garrett and that pass rush coming at him. The Browns Bad have a news. good little pass rush. So that's, it's, just doesn't, it's not a good recipe. As it stands now, the Giants are... Their playoff odds have dropped to 24%. It's, <laughs> we're, we're hanging by a thread with the path, Dan. We're hanging by a thread. I don't know. And you're usually right on the money when you advise people on, on what to do with this spread. I know you're not a betting man yourself, but you tend to have really good advice. And you said, when you saw three and a half, you said, hammer the Browns is basically what your gut reaction was. So that's not a good sign for the Giants, in my opinion, because you've been nailing these all year long. Yeah, and uh, listen, you know, especially if they start Jones, I'm sorry. The Giants just aren't going to be able to, to score enough points, and it almost seems like an easy win for the gamblers out there if that's where the line stays. All right, I might have to fire up my app and pick against the Giants, but I don't want to, Dan. I don't want the path to be dead, but I think if they lose to the Browns, it, it might be dead. It might be dead. It depends on what happens with Washington. Now Jalen Hurts is actually playing for the Eagles, and they look better, so 
who knows what's going to happen in the NFC yeah, East. It's still a mess. Out of, right. We could come out of this week with the NFC East all being within one game of each other again, yeah. <laughs> going into the final two weeks of the season. So, oh, man. But once uh, again, we called this. Here, here's a, go ahead. You, you, I give you a couple stats today. Here, here's another good one I love for it. You. Since week 11, the winningest division in football is the NFC East. Yeah, no, it's it's serious. They And they've been knocking off all the, the top teams around the league. It's been really fun. Like the Saints it's, now go down, right? right? The Steelers go down. Oh, it's been great. No, it's that's been a fun storyline. The NFC, the redemption tour of the NFC East. <laughs> I have liked that thing, yeah. I mean, I, I hope for, for the Giants fans and everybody else, if for no other reason, because listen, I think already if you were to take a poll, and we actually did yesterday, it's still running. I think the Giants have exceeded expectations across the board so far this season. The offense, granted, you know, if you're going to break it down that one probably hasn't exceeded expectations but the giants as a whole i feel like with three weeks remaining and and the 49 point like nine percent of the of the of the people also feel that way that they have exceeded expectations with only 10 percent saying that they have fallen below expectations so i think people need to take that sort of into consideration and yeah the giants rode us high for a minute it's not like they're out of it i mean they could very well come in and upset cleveland just as they did seattle because that's just who the giants are historically but if they don't and they do find themselves eliminated before that week 17 game against dallas the reality is the Giants have far exceeded expectations and with the exception of two games have been very, very competitive this year. For sure. I mean, they were one and seven. All we asked is they would be five and eight going into this game against Cleveland. They've given us that. So you got to give you got to appreciate that. But and no one, no, precious few would have thought that. No, back then. of course not. Just so. just just idiots like us, Dan. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we were, uh, we were idiots at the time. I yeah. don't know. I don't oh, know yeah. where all those trolls yeah. went to. Or or, right or we're brilliant. Either way, <laughs> one of the two. So uh, yeah. So as disappointed as I am that the path has been a little bit. It's it's getting a little hairy now. We got to clear re clear the path. It's getting a little crowded here. It's getting a little convoluted there. But I, as disappointed as I am again, uh, you know, with the Giants losing that ball game, I am more disappointed that Mark Shalareth did not join us on the podcast today. I was really hoping that he would. So anyone who didn't listen to last week's episode, please do because Mark Shalareth, uh, he has been in, in a Twitter fight with Giants fans. It, it continues, I think, to this very day. Yeah, and uh, we tried to get him to come on the show. He didn't respond to us. Maybe we'll keep trying, Dan, because I think that would be hilarious and fun. Yeah, I mean, why not? Listen, he's got the upper hand now anyway, so, you know, why not, right? You know, come on come on and tell us why we, why we were all wrong. That's Dan Benton of the Giants Wire. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you all next week. This USA Today Sports Podcast has been presented by USA Today's Sports Media Group and is available in your favorite podcast store. Make sure to subscribe for weekly updates, the latest fantasy picks from Corey Bonini, and the Huddle Podcast, Inside the Weekly Line, with Sportsbook Wire's Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren, and the Bet Slippin' Podcast. We'll see you again next week.